Please turn in your Bibles again to Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to be uh, studying tonight from verse 17 of the chapter uh, down to the end, 17 to 22 of the chapter. You might recognize uh, that structure in the, the photograph at the top, uh, the Thames River Barrier. Uh, in 1953, uh, there was a massive surge in the North Sea, causing huge flooding in London. So when technology eventually came along in the late 80s, they built a huge flood barrier that can be raised or lowered uh, in order to protect the city. And I think it's helpful for us to, to think on uh, what we're looking at this evening as the kind of structures that we need to call upon when uh, we are in times of trial and suffering or pain or loss, confusion. God has placed structures in his word uh, and we need to avail ourselves of these. There are certain things we need to bring to mind when life uh, is hard. And the Israelites are about to enter into a time of testing. Uh, very shortly, it will seem as though all hell is breaking loose upon them. Uh, there are going to be times, uh, even after the coming of the Egyptians hard on their heels when they cross the Red Sea, times when uh, they will wonder where on earth they're going. They'll wonder if they're going to survive this Journey. There will be times when uh, another kind of darkness overwhelms them and they lapse into backsliding. But at their best, there will be a people who are learning to be pilgrims, uh, who are learning what it is to trust God even in dark times. And that's true of us, surely. We're called to be pilgrims, and they're are dark times in the Christian's life. The Christian is not preserved, cocooned from difficulties in life. And the events of the Exodus are given to us not only as teaching as to how God's plan of salvation is unfolding, which of course it is, but also it's given to us as moral guidance. It's giving helps to us for our pilgrim journey. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians where he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness now, these things happened as examples for us so that we should not do the crave evil things as they also craved. These things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we have very strong justification for taking moral uh, guidance from the narrative of the Exodus, they're given for our instruction. Verses 17 to 22 are a kind of curtain raiser on some very dramatic action. 
things have been quite uh, slow-moving and sedate. There's been quite a lot of instruction regarding uh, the liturgy uh, of Israel as a worshipping people, regulations as to Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, consecration of the firstborn. And then, bang, when we get into chapter 14, uh, we have real uh, white-knuckle excitement. Things are going to be moving very, very rapidly. And uh, these verses are kind of prelude or curtain raiser. And they're looking ahead at the, the character of the journey that the Israelites will be taking. And there are lessons for the journey for Israel and for us. God discloses three truths regarding the situation of his people in times of trial and testing. Three truths which are like that infrastructure that we need when we are going through testing times. First of all, there's the lesson of God's overriding providence. He's never allowing things to go out of control. He is always directing the lives of his children for their good. Secondly, there's, there are his promises, uh, promises which were kind of symbolized by uh, the bizarre carrying of the bones of Joseph, promises to cling on to in dark days. And then there was the presence of God, the presence of God in the cloud and the fire that went with Israel during her pilgrimage in the wilderness. God's providence God's promises and God's presence. First of all, then, let's look at God's providence. God took them by an unusual route. Uh, Not this route, by the way. Uh, That's later. But he took them by an unusual route. He took them uh, not by the way of the sea, which would have been uh, the most obvious, the shortest route, but rather by way of the desert. Had they gone by the coastal highway, the way of the sea, they would have landed in Canaan, Uh, Probably in about two weeks, even though there was a company of possibly three million of them, they would have got there uh, in a very short time. As events will turn out, it takes 40 years uh, for them uh, in the midst of all of their wanderings to get to Canaan. Now, it's often better to go uh, a longer route uh, if you're wanting to take in the scenery. And when our American friends were with us and they were talking about going to Stirling, I thought, well, you know, you can go to Stirling. Uh, the quick route, you can go along the motorway and be there in about 25 minutes. But much better, really, to go the scenic route. And uh, I suppose if we asked uh, uh, all of you here tonight, you would have your own uh, uh, different ways of where you could uh, make the route a little bit more interesting. I would probably take them over the campsites. Uh, over the Crow Road, and then uh, you can either go to the left or the right. You're very close to Loch Lomond. You can go to the, 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 the western direction. Or you can come round uh, the, the end of the Cars of Stirling and down through Kippen. And there's Flanders Moss. There's the Lake of Menteith, Scotland's only lake. And you come down through all of this lush farmland and the Cars, and you're approaching Stirling. Where you're seeing the castle uh, in its most dramatic way. The scenic route. But of course, um, time was of the essence, and so they didn't opt for the scenic route, they went to the direct route. And that's usually the case with us in life also. And yet, although we would like to get 
to our preferred destination. We'd like to see our life moving along rapidly and in an orderly fashion. Isn't it the case so often that instead of uh, the M1 or the M80, we are taking lots of B roads and sometimes our lives seem to be going up dirt tracks and we're wondering where the Lord is taking us. You might be, by nature, a very focused person with a clear idea of where you think your life is going. And that's usually a good thing. But when God takes you the scenic route, that can be perplexing. We can wonder, what on earth is God doing in this? When life seems to be punctuated by diversion signs, road ahead closed, and so on it can be very, very hard to see what's going on. And one of the Exodus lessons, this first lesson, is that although the big picture is hidden from us, it's not hidden from God. He sees the big picture. And it may be that down the line we begin to see it also. John Owen, the uh, the great theologian, said that God's providence was like uh, reading the Hebrew language. You know, Hebrew's written uh, from right to left. God's providence is like Hebrew. It's best uh, re- read uh, from uh, the, the, the uh, end uh, to the beginning. At the beginning, we can't see what's going on, but at the end, we look back and things begin to make some sense. Now, there's a wrong time kind of teaching which uh, you sometimes meet in in churches which uh, says well you know if God is pleased with you and you're living by faith then you will have immediate blessing Uh, you will have uh, life simply going forward in a in a very orderly uh, manner you will be achieving your objectives and things like unemployment or disappointment in relationships or depression, or a failed exam. These are signs of God's displeasure with you. But if you have faith, God will bless you with success in everything that you do. And that just doesn't stack up with biblical reality. Because so often God's way with his people is to lead them in a very indirect way. We go the scenic route so often. The perplexing path. And if we look at the stories of some of the great leaders in the Bible, we see how that is the case. Think of Moses himself. Moses spends the first years of his life being prepared for leadership uh, in Pharaoh's palace. And you would think he was on the cusp of taking charge of Israel, the prime of his life. He's accrued all the wisdom of Egypt. What happens next God sends him into the wilderness to work as a shepherd for 40 years how perplexing how bizarre earlier than Moses think of Joseph he goes from being the favorite son to being sold into slavery spends the best part of his 20s his youth his vigor languishing in a dungeon forgotten by those he has helped most 
until eventually, in God's time, he is elevated to that place where he can be of great usefulness. Moses, Joseph, David. Think of King David. David is anointed uh, by Samuel as a teenager. And he spends his early adult years running from Saul. Hiding in caves. Until eventually at the age of 30 he is anointed king. And so we could go on. Many, many of God's people have had long waits. Have had times when it seemed that their life was going in reverse rather than in forward gear. And God had not abandoned them. God had not taken his hand off the helm. God was in control. God was working out his purposes. And that is true for ourselves. And it's one of these lessons that uh, we need to take away from this evening. Uh, Because it may be that uh, in your own life just now, you're trying to make sense of a long wait or a setback or your path of your life having taken an unexpected turn. And we need to remember that God is in control. And God has his reasons for taking us on the scenic route. And one of the reasons may be that he's sparing us heartache. Sparing us heartache. So traveling uh, from Coatbridge to Skye, uh, and you come to Fort William, and you're following your sat-nav, there comes this point where the sat-nav wants to tell you to travel west at the road to the Isles filling station. Take the road to Malik. And if you're with somebody who knows the road, then you need to listen to them and not the satnav. The satnav is wanting to take you uh, the shortest route. But very often, those who listen to the satnav and go the shortest route end up in heartache because the satnav will take you to Malik for the ferry, which very often is shut late in the evening and you'll have to turn all the way back uh, or maybe spend the night in Malik. The shortest route to sometimes the route to heartache. God knew that the northern route by the sea was heavily fortified. The Egyptians had forts along the way. And even if if Israel were to make their way past that strongly fortified stretch of coastline, they would have to face the Philistines with their chariots. And God who has a heart of a tender father, as Psalm 103 reminds us, wanted to spare his children this early test of their mettle. Didn't want them to turn back after being discouraged and so sends them another route. God was sparing them heartache by sending them the long way. And that's very often God's purpose in our lives when he sends as the longer route. But perhaps most significantly, God was jealous for his glory. And God is ensuring that as Israel takes the way of the Red Sea, there will be this momentous victory as the uh, army of Pharaoh is plunged into the sea and uh, God achieves a great victory, snatches it from the jaws of defeat rather than turning north. Going south, God is ultimately glorified. 
So there was God's providence, and we need to remember God's providence and the fact that he has his reasons. And then secondly, on the journey, uh, there was a very strange reminder that the God who leads is a God who is 100% to be trusted for keeping his promises. During all the busy preparations for getting ready to leave Egypt, the Hebrews had made time to fetch Joseph's remains. Joseph um, is the first person in the Bible uh, said to have been uh, laid in a coffin, which is a useful thing to know for Bible quizzes. And in the midst of all of the preparation and all of the anxiety and uh, the distress of the departure from Egypt, Moses and the leaders remember that Joseph had asked them to take his bones with them when God would eventually keep his promise. The promise he had given to Abraham and lead the people to the promised land. At the end of Genesis, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And the writer to the Hebrews cites this as an instance of Joseph's faith. When he was dying, he made his brothers swear that they would take his bones up from this place. Because he believed the promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he believed that there would be a time when the people would leave. And he wanted to go along for the ride. God kept his promise. And here was a significant occasion when Joseph's bones are being taken, just as Joseph had requested, to the land of promise that God had promised so long ago. God is keeping his promise. When they fetched the mummified remains of Joseph, what a grisly task that must have been for them. When there were so many other uh, seemingly more pressing things to do. This was a reminder that God was in the midst of keeping his promise and an assurance that he would carry on keeping his promise along the way. He's the promise-keeping God. And in the midst of dark times and perplexed times, we need to remember the promises of God. And the Bible is full of promises. And there are promises which are apt for every occasion. When we feel alone, God has promised. Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you. When we feel weak, God has promised, I will strengthen you, Isaiah 41, 10. When we feel the force of temptation and we are quite sure that we are going to uh, give in because we just can't uh, stand up under the, the, the pressure, God has promised, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When you're in need, 
God has promised in Isaiah 41, I will help you. When we have fallen and we need forgiveness, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we're wondering which way to turn, God's promise is guidance. Psalm 25, verse 9, he will guide the meek. Precious promises. The Bible is full of the promises of God, and they are to be claimed. They are to be rested upon. Joseph, or rather Joseph's remains, uh, was this uh, bizarre symbol of the trustworthiness of God. He is keeping his promise made to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob, he will keep his promise to us also. God's people rest on the promises of God. And then finally, the people are assured of God's presence. We read, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people What this was, the the pillar of of cloud and the the fire by night, was a representation, an appearing of the living God who is unseen, who cannot be seen by the human eye. What the theologians call a theophany. God was in the cloud. And the Israelites would later on refer to the the dazzling majesty of God as he came down in a cloud to the tabernacle. They'd call it the Shekinah, God's Shekinah glory. And as he came to the tabernacle, so also he would come to the temple and he would fill the temple. Speaking of his presence with his people. The blessing of having God. Why was Israel blessed? Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. They were the, they were the nation amongst whom God had chosen to dwell. He had made Zion his abode. But we are so much more privileged because the Son of God himself has come down. And John uh, speaks of him tabernacling amongst us. We beheld his glory. The Shekinah came into human form in Jesus of Nazareth. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God's glory coming, dwelling in our midst. And then, better still, the Lord Jesus, before he is uh, taken up into heaven, tells the disciples that it is better for them that he, Jesus, should go because if he went, the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells uh, his readers that the, they have now become, or their bodies have become temples of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, Paul prays that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. That's a wonderful promise that we have the presence of God with us. When we are struggling in life, when we don't know what's happening, when our life is kind of put on hold, as it were, we need to know that God is providentially in control. And we need to claim the promises of God. But 
aren't we on exquisite ground when we also realize God is with us? We have his presence. Jesus has come and manifest himself by his Holy Spirit. David knew this. Of all people, David knew what it was to to face treachery, to face opposition, uh, bodily danger. And then in the Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm very strong. No, because you are with me. You are with me. Precious truth. When we're in trouble or feeling alone, Jesus is with us. We have his presence. You know, in normal circumstances, when we're feeling alone or troubled, isn't it good to get a a letter or more likely a, a text or an email from someone who's very close to us, saying that they're thinking of us, praying for us? How much more wonderful for that person to walk in the door, for their presence to come right near. This is the great blessing of the new covenant believer, to have the presence of God, to know that our body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He has come to be with us through all of the inexplicable reversals, uh, to face all of the dangers and heartaches which may be our lot along the way, uh, to be our guide, our comfort, our counsel, every step of the way, the presence of the Lord. To know he is with us, to sense the felt presence of God. This is, this is what Peter's talking about when he speaks in that, that lovely verse about the joy of the Lord. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you don't see him though he's with us. Though you do not see him now, you believe in, in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. God's promises, God's providence, God's presence. These are the things God has given us to keep us on our way. Thanks be to God for them. Amen. Let's close uh, singing uh, a hymn which uh, speaks about us actually availing ourselves of the infrastructure that God gives us. Uh, standing on every promise, actually taking our stand uh, intentionally on the promises that God has given to us. From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand with every promise of your word. Words of power, strong to save, that will never pass away, I will stand on every promise of your word. For your covenant is sure, and in this I am secure, I can stand on every promise of your word.
Now may grace and mercy and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you now and forevermore. Amen.